The following episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel Bernie or Bust Television. Hello, everyone. Welcome, one and all. This is the Do Dissidents Podcast. My name is Keaton Weiss, and I have the pleasure of welcoming friend of the show here and host of Bernie or Bust Television, the great Alan Howell. <laughs> something that you have been talking about for a long time you know when once this coronavirus hit and the sort of economic shock uh you know hit our system um i've been wanting to do not just one but really a, a series of episodes on the potential for labor power in the wake of this crisis in the wake of this pandemic and so uh, you were one of the first people I thought to talk to because you have really been talking about what a general strike could do um, for a long time. Uh, you know, you, you know, you you have been advocating for withholding labor uh, for quite some time, even before uh, this virus. And so, why don't you just talk a little bit about that in in some of your background? You mentioned you yourself are a union guy. Um and so just, you know, intro intro that a little bit to sort of set this up. Good. Okay, so I've been a union member since 1985. I was a public school teacher in a union, and I noticed over the years that music teachers and PE teachers didn't seem to get as much help from the union as the regular classroom teachers. And we weren't treated as well. So I was noticing that unions had weaknesses, even though we did have good health insurance and other benefits. We had pretty good salaries. Salaries were in the 80s and 90s were better for union people than non-union people. So I was grateful for that. In the 90s, I became a university professor and I noticed the same discrepancy that the arts teachers, philosophy teachers, foreign language teachers didn't get the same um, they didn't get the same salaries, but they also didn't get the same kind of status and they didn't get the same kind of backing when they ran into skirmishes that the other more mainstream professors got. Also, I'm a truck driver. I grew up in the woods in, in Oregon. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and I know how to drive a log truck. I know how to cut down trees and operate heavy equipment. And so I'm kind of a hybrid uh, blue collar, white collar sort of a guy. And what I've noticed with unions is that they, especially over the last 10 or 15 years, have become much weaker in education because the leaders of the unions aren't in touch with the rank and file. So I've noticed that the union leaders are willing to endorse candidates, say Hillary or Joe Biden, where the rank and file are all up in arms about that. Why, why are you doing that? And so the the unions aren't really unions because the leaders sell out their rank and file. So here I am in the midst of, of watching a pandemic unfold. I'm part of a Facebook group of truckers called Black Smoke Matters. And what I've noticed, the almost 26,000 truckers on there, they, they vote Republican, but they're in favor of labor strikes. So we've got these people and teachers, wildcat strikes in red states, teachers in in West Virginia especially, have said enough is enough. Chicago, we've got people now all over the country starting wildcat strikes because of the pandemic and because of their working conditions. We've got a perfect opportunity, a perfect storm, and it's time to get this storm un, un, uh, out of the station. Out of, how's that for a mixed metaphor? 
we got the, we've got a perfect <laughs> we've got a perfect moment here in in history, and we've got people that are that are from different walks of life in agreement. They're in agreement that we need to shut things down and we need to make some demands. So I think we need to make a few very carefully chosen demands and then we need to stop working. We need to stop paying our rent, stop paying our mortgage, stop paying our credit card debt, stop paying our student loan debt and and any other kind of strike you can think of until our leaders, our lefty leaders too, they're not doing anything either. We need to push all of our leaders. They're not really leaders. There are, there are representatives we need to push them into getting something and and the best candidates probably are health care for all single payer um higher wages and pro- probably if you think about it maybe the ubi maybe at least temporarily some kind of a, a basic income until we get back to somewhat normal if we hit 30 percent unemployment it might take a long time to get back to normal. Yeah, no, I think it's going to take a very, very long time. Um, you said a couple of things in there. I'll try to get to as many of them as I can, but I wanted to sort of take them in order. One thing you just said that uh, s- sort of stuck out to me um, is that, you know, these, these lefty leaders of ours are not actually leaders, they're representatives. And I think that's a very healthy way to look at it. And I think that we can save ourselves a lot of grief and heartache by just acknowledging that we don't have to get angry about, you know, we don't have to blow a gasket about that you did a show your your last episode you played the uh clip of um jimmy door jimmy door going into one of his you know classic <laughs> epic you know red face just rants and look i love jimmy door um you know i don't agree with everything jimmy door says but I, I i love his show i i got to know his show you know back you know four years prior i think i told you when uh i did your show that he was like my online therapist for 2016 and you know look i don't think he played this cycle exactly right but i understand what he's saying and i understand his outrage um but you know he also said something they did a reunion uh of the aggressive progressive which was like the canceled young turk show back when he was on there and you know when he wasn't so worked up he he said essentially what you said that you know these people whether it's bernie aoc ilhan omar right they're there. He said, you know, you can like them personally and you can admire them, but they're not leaders. And I think that's just really important to understand. And I wrote a piece about AOC recently, which said basically that, which is that it's not that we have to hate these people or we should be, you know, furious at them or call them sellouts. It's like understand that they are where they are and that we are where we are. And it's going to be our job. And, you know, I, I don't mean to make a grandiose uh, comparison here, but it, it is the, the grassroots job to play MLK to their LBJ, whether we love them or don't love them or, you know, whatever we think of them. That's our job. That's our role. It's our job to lead now, you know, and, and it will be their job to follow our lead. In fact, it's unreasonable for us to expect them to take the lead if if we have to do that. I mean, if there is going to be a strike, that has to come from us. Bernie can't say strike. And have millions of people strike. That's not going to be how it works. It's going to work with people like Chris uh, Smalls. Chris Smalls, who, who, <clears throat> pardon me, who you recently tweeted at. Uh, we could talk about that. Um, and it, 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 it's going to be a matter of organizing people 
in a way that makes them politically aware. You know, one of the real barriers that Bernie came up against in this cycle, and there were many barriers, and I think the biggest barrier of all is the fact that the Democratic Party voter base has just changed into something that's not really compatible with a Bernie Sanders message anymore. Um, but beyond that, I think there is a general hopelessness among people who we hoped we could rally to come out and vote. There's this general sense that politics can't be used to actually improve people's lives. I went to Bernie's campaign launch uh, in Midwood. Um, and on my way out of the rally, I stopped at a little newsstand uh, on my way to the subway, you know, just to grab a water for the train ride. And I had my Bernie button on and the guy sitting behind the counter has got like, you know, the, you know, the, just the old beat up New York, you know, outer borough newsstand with the plexiglass and he's sitting behind the counter and he's there. And, you know, you could you could see the years in his face, you know, one of those, you know, real, you know, workers, nose to the grindstone every day, probably sits in there 14, 15 hours a day. And he asked me, he says, so do, do you think he can make it? And I said, well, I hope so. I mean, we're, we're going to do our best. And he just says, he, he tells me, you know, I, I don't think he can make it. I think they're going to screw him again. Those are his exact words. Now, this is not a guy who we would look at and we would think he's an activist or he is, you know, politically minded or he follows this stuff all that closely. Not that we're making that judgment, but, you know, if you just do a quick, quick look. But this is someone who understands just intuitively that, yeah, there's a machine out there that's indifferent to the needs of the people. This guy is for the people. Therefore, they're going to screw him and he can't make it. So there's a certain powerlessness there. And I think the kind of direct action that you're talking about can really help lead the way out of that and just sort of organically spark in people. Oh, wait a minute. If we actually organize, we can demand these things and make this stuff happen, whether these, you know, quote unquote, leaders of ours want to or not. The fact remains that we need leaders because people don't jump up and, and do things without some kind of organization. Labor has known forever that organization is the key to solidarity. You've got the people and they all agree or they would agree if you could um, talk to them a little bit. But then you need somebody like Chris Smalls to jump up and say, okay, this is wrong. Who's with me? And he did it over days. He was sitting in the break room over days. He didn't just snap his fingers. And so Jimmy Dore, he gets upset because he thinks if, if Bernie just said, okay, for four hours, I want all of you Amazon workers four hours tomorrow morning not to work. And, and we all know that that would have amazing results. And, and probably it would work, somebody that high up. So if it isn't somebody like Bernie or AOC, it's got to be somebody else, somebody with a lot of visibility, somebody with a big megaphone of, of some sort, whether a Twitter account or some, some other following like, I don't know, like Susan Sarandon, she always gets yelled at because she has such a big voice and, and everyone, all the neoliberal um, evil people understand that she's a threat because she has a following. If, if Susan Sarandon and Chris Smalls and uh, Michael Moore and Noam Chomsky, who is a coward, and other people, and see, that's where Jimmy starts to turn purple, is he sees these people who could actually lead an insurrection, and they don't. And he calls them cowards. He says it's a, it's a failure on their part. And 
what's he, he he knows he has a pretty big voice now he's a leader on the left he's a he's got as big a voice he's got people in the bernie campaign well positioned people emailing him so so he's being listened to he gives himself the credit rightfully for bernie coming out and saying that i support the strikers and of course he wants him to go farther and so he's right we need somebody to lead the charge we need somebody like um braveheart you know to raise up the spear and say who's with me and then sure, everything but, will break. But that's going to come from. I think that that's going to come from the workforce itself. I mean, Chris Smalls is is a perfect example. Now, look, Amazon has done what they can to smear him and to undermine him. Um, and we, we 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 could talk about this a bit, just in case the audience is not totally up on this. Um, and I might do an intro to this segment on the show, going into detail, so that we don't have to bore them, you know, with all that right now. But. Chris Small noticed that there were sick people in the Amazon warehouse. I'll give it the very, very short version now. Um, he went to people, asked how they were feeling. He found out that there were people who had actually gotten COVID tests and had reported back to work uh, you know, with their test results pending. Um, he just tried to raise this with upper management, and they basically said, no, we're just going to press on uh, until we know for sure that these people have the virus. Meanwhile, if they have it and they're working while they're awaiting the results, they can very easily spread it. He started to notice more people getting sick. Um, and then they actually sent him home on a paid quarantine, even though he wasn't feeling sick. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah, they that, sent him home they and kept him out yeah. of the warehouse, paying him. They were basically just paying him to keep his mouth shut for two weeks to right. keep him out of there. Right. Aaron Mate just had him on yesterday, I think. And that's what he said. He said, I was the only one. I, I talked to the woman for five minutes who ended up being testing positive, and she was on a shift, a 10-hour shift with lots of other workers. They didn't quarantine any of them. They only quarantined Chris because he, like you say, they wanted to shut him up. Yeah, and keep him away so he couldn't see anything else. Uh, and now he no longer works for Amazon. Uh, former Obama press secretary, just a total, what a fucking worthless little slut that guy turned out to be, Jay Carney, um, who now is, what, VP of operations at Amazon? Some kind of, he's, he's some kind of very high-ranking official at Amazon now. Um, he put out tweets when Bernie actually did tweet out uh, something in support of Chris Malls. He said something to the effect of uh, that, uh, you know, Chris Malls was violating our social distancing policy and endangering other workers. I mean, just the slimiest, most twisted thing ever um, in order to basically, yeah, make it look like they were protecting the workers by getting rid of, of him. And so, you know, you know, that that's one guy um, who, yeah, I mean, look, thankfully he's gotten a lot of airtime. I didn't know he was on Aaron's show. I know, uh, Jimmy Dore himself interviewed him. Megan Day at uh, Jacobin, uh, she, she interviewed him. <clears throat> He's been on some TV shows. I know the New York Times even did a write-up uh, on him. And so that's great that he's getting that press. But it's important that people like him, that these, you know, just sort of workers, right, not celebrities, workers, actually get a spotlight on them because – those are the ones who need to be mobilized and need to be inspired by a guy like Chris Smalls. And even Chris Smalls himself needs to realize that he has power. He wrote a piece for The Guardian, or I don't know if he wrote it for The Guardian, but I know that they printed it. 
saying, calling out Jeff Bezos directly, saying, I'm not afraid of your power anymore. That's the key. The key is we need ordinary people to understand their power, not to look to Bernie or AOC for their power, but to realize their power. I mean, the, the whole point of the Bernie movement is to get is to really empower ordinary people, not in the sense that he's giving them their power, but he's making them realize their power. And that's where it needs to come from. And so we can make, you know, if someone like that gets a sort of celebrity status and get some star power, he can be the Braveheart type, no? Yeah, and then we have to figure out Bravehearts, probably a collection of them, maybe, you know, seven or eight or nine Bravehearts all working together and collecting their followers together in one place via Twitter or Facebook, something like That's how the Wildcat strikes in the red Or in the streets, if we could ever get in the streets well, again. Well, yeah. But so we need or our cell phone text messages. We we've coordinated protests before Occupy sorts and and in with the with the pipeline protests and other things. But what we really need to do is get around the blockade. There's a media blockade. There are these Tony op-ed writers that uh, Russell Dobular talks about that that tell the suburbanites what to think. What we could use right now is somebody who got listened to by the corporate media it would be really amazing or if we could figure out how to get baby boomers to pay attention to jimmy Dore. we we need we need lots of people or to you for example we we need lots of people to hear some other message than they're currently hearing because the douchebags from the obama administration gave us trump all of that crowd, all of the Obama world, Clinton machine, Hollywood machine, CIA machine, all of them have a stranglehold on the corporate media. The corporate media are their bitch. They just do whatever yeah, and they it's, tell and them that's, to. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, Crystal Ball just did on her show, I don't know if you saw that segment. I looked for it this morning. She listed, uh, or she read off tweets. It wasn't, it, she didn't make this uh, statement herself, but she found a tweet, which is a list of all these Obama administration uh, people. You know, Susan Rice was one of them, uh, Robert Gibbs, one of them, David Plouffe. It, it, and it, go down the line of where those people are now. It's like they're working for Uber. They're working Lyft. for Lyft. They're yeah. working for McDonald's. They're yeah. working for this big bank or that big bank. I mean, it's incredible. Just go down the line. Glenn this is a guy who, when he won, you know, change has come to America. <laughs> I mean, what an unbelievable that was a good... con. And, it, and it, I mean, it's just extraordinary what, what they were able to pull off. Yeah, Glenn Greenwald talked about that on Twitter, too. It's just the very... Maybe that was him who, who did it. That could have been him. The very picture of neoliberalism and how fucked up it is, how extraordinarily corrupt all of the Obama team... And and the all the rest, it's all one big cabal, and they own the and they own the media. So if we could, your your job and my job and Jimmy Dore's job and and he was saying that in that big rant that he did, he was saying that his lefty friends, he he has them on his live shows. He said he's going to bust their balls if they don't get on there and call their leaders to to arms. But I think that we need to call each other to arms if we have a cabal of our own if we have a lefty pundit cabal and and we're all we we don't always agree with each other but i think we could get together and say what we really need now is a massive strike a massive compendium of strikes and work together 
to, to shut things down and make it very clear from all of us, even though we don't agree on everything, make it clear that this is what we want to get out of the strike. And probably Medicare for all single payer is the biggest thing we want. And there are a few other items that we like saving the planet. That's pretty big on the list. But but if we could just get and then and then the the division between right wing and left wing populists, we we need to, I think, agree better than we do now that the right wing populism is important and we need to connect to it, too, in making these demands, because right wing populists also want Medicare for all right wing populists also want better wages. And I think we should put our differences aside. Um, there are a couple of of uh, pundits that are have about the same kind of audience that Jimmy does, or not quite as big as the Young Turks. And we need that those those populists, those grubby populists, to to stick together and say we are willing to deny our labor. We truck drivers, we teachers, we Amazon workers. I'm not saying health workers. I'm I'm not going that far, but. But all of these other workers that just keep the wheels moving of our economy, the, the people who do the actual work, we need to stick together and lead them. I think the lefty pundits on YouTube could lead in a, in a way that maybe Jimmy wants our politicians to lead. Yes. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's that's right. And I think it needs to come from as many microphones as as possible, whether it's people in office or, you know, people like us who are carving out, a you know, a, as big an independent media slice as, as we can. Um, yeah. And from, I think, once again, the workers themselves. And I think the power in combining the forces of left and right populists, um, you know, that th- th- that gets touchy, but I think it's necessary. I mean, I-, I do, because we need numbers now. And that's really the theme of the rising show. I mean, uh, Crystal Ball is a left-wing populist. Sagar Jetty is more of a right-wing. Uh, but again, there is that, there is that shared um, agenda. The shared agenda, and but even where the agendas might diverge, there's a shared understanding that there is a power structure that is indifferent to the material well-being of ordinary people. There you go. And that that power structure has to be challenged, and it has to be challenged with force and with numbers, nonviolently, obviously, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the the key is to rally these workers and organize uh, these workers because that's where they can actually find some some hope in this also and look they've they're already understanding what power they actually have like i'm seeing you know on just my personal facebook feed from friends who are not particularly like political people who i don't engage with on that level very often you know you see memes floating around i'm sure that say you know all of a sudden now cashiers are the you know valued workers like you know like these are the heroes now these are the people who we're holding up as heroes people who you know drive the trucks to the supermarkets people who you know deliver the takeout um people who stock the shelves people who interact with people um you know for very very low wages and so you know they could be rallied and not not just for these larger social goals but they should also they should be they should be pushing for their wages to be higher much higher because they're starting to get now how undervalued they are by their bosses 
right? Because, I mean, you actually see certain right-wingers and certain right-wing hosts, um, certain right-wing media people saying that, look, if Amazon workers want to strike, if we're at 30% employment, they can go ahead and strike because there's going to be people so desperate that they're going to actually go into an infected warehouse, risk getting this horrible illness, killing themselves, maybe killing their families because they're that desperate to work. Right. And this is how capitalism works. This is the free market. Right. 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 Where is it? You know, fine. If you're afraid to die on the job, you don't have to work here anymore. We'll uh, find someone else who's okay. less afraid All to right. die on the so, job. So this is where the, the hatchet would need to be buried, because I can see you would be prickly. You would be it would be difficult for you and me. I mean, <laughs> what, you, what you just said, you know, it's it's not loaded. It's not agenda driven. It's. But it's definitely well, hold on. collectivism. Let, let, let me just say this, because I wasn't talking about like a Tucker Carlson type there. I was talking about, uh, in fact, it was, it was, I think it was Ben Shapiro, who is not a populist. Oh, that's he's not an a right-wing asshole. That's oh, a right-wing goblin, right? That, that's, you know, that, so, so, right, but, but, but what I'm saying, so that, that, I wasn't tying that in with the sort of left-right populist coalition that we want to build. I'm just saying that people are realizing that dynamic that exists and there are certain forces on the right who are still pushing that right absolutely what we could focus on i think this is where i've had the best the most fruitful discussions with with truck drivers that i've worked with the bureau of labor statistics shows us that in 1950 we were 400 percent less productive because of technology probably than we are now so the American workers per person are producing 400% more now, but our wages have been stagnant. Where is that going? Is that making our work week a fourth as long? No, truck drivers are working more hours than they've ever worked. So the truck drivers are saying, well, that 400% extra in productivity is going into the pockets of the owners of society. George Carlin is a great spokesperson because he speaks well to the right and to the left. He's trusted, I think, because he's so grisly. He just says the truth. And you can just tell whether you're a white collar or blue collar. He says, it doesn't matter what color shirt you're wearing. It just matters that you understand that we're getting fucked by a system that threw us overboard 30 fucking years ago. And he says it and truck drivers nod their heads. Teachers nod their heads, too. We all get that. So if we wanted to make some kind of a coalition, we can say our productivity is going into the pockets of a very few assholes at the top. Why is that? And what could we do to fix it? And that's where we could use the pundits that are small, smaller, you know, not the corporate pundits, but there are righties and lefties who are not corporate, who have pretty big voices, who could agree with each other on that one thing. Where is our productivity going? It's not going to us. Why is that? And yeah, then- no, I mean, I think you're totally right. And this is where I think, and Russell and I have done a few shows about this, and I know you you listen, once again, thank you for your listenership, about the need for a third party. And this is why, because there's too much of the Democratic brand is tied into all of these, like, distracting, weird cultural boutique issues. And I'm, that's not to say we take a soft line on gay rights or women's rights or anything like that, right? right? We, we don't compromise on that. It's a matter of what you center in your messaging, especially now, because there are so many people who would join us, right, if not for those sorts of hangups. And look, we on the left have to be willing to make some of those – once again, I don't say we make concessions, but like we don't have to center necessarily – gun control 
in this way because it alienates people who might otherwise be with us, right? And like we can hash those things out later. But I think the one of the things that's critical about creating a new power structure with a new brand, which is equally important now, I think, is that we don't chase people away with these other issues that are not directly related right now in an emergency situation to the material needs of ordinary people healthcare wages right you could tie a green new deal type of thing into that um you know this is an emergency now that everybody sees all right but the 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 bigger point here that that i wanted to bring up too is that there was a study came out in January of 2016 by Forbes magazine saying 63% of the American people could not afford a $500 emergency bill if they got it. What that means is that 63% of the country has been either in an emergency or just teetering on the edge of a devastating emergency for a very long time. And now that you have a pandemic that puts, you know, have the country out of work, guess what? Those 63% of the people all have that $1,000 emergency right now. They have more than $1,000 uh, right now. And so this thing happened. And it was only a matter of time before this happened because so much of this country was living so close to the edge of financial ruin anyway, right? And so, and I, I, unfortunately, I think it took this crisis to wake people up to that. That, in a sense, was what the Bernie campaigns were all about is waking people up to the fact that so many people were in an emergency situation for so long and it's just totally ignored. If you watch these roundtables on CNN, you know, as the votes come in on Super Tuesday, you know, to their credit, they have Alexander Rojas there, who is a um, Sanders surrogate. Uh, They have Abdul Al-Sayed on there. Uh, They had a couple other Bernie people on there. And as they're talking about this, you see, you know, Terry McAuliffe just staring into space. David Axelrod checking his phone. (laughs) Nobody's even listening. Nobody even looks at them while they talk about this shit. And now that there's this pandemic and this shit has hit the fan, now all of a sudden everybody's in this emergency situation, right? But a lot of these workers were in this situation before and they didn't quite realize it and they didn't feel they could do anything about it. And so they kind of just let you know, reality roll on. But now the reality has stopped. They have to do something about yeah. it. And that's where the opportunity comes. We're in an interesting place because we're neither up nor down. We have a bigger voice than a regular worker if we have a show. And your your show has a bigger voice than my show. And Jimmy Dore's show has a bigger voice than your show. But all of us have a role to play that's bigger than than individual worker. So if we can stir up the action if we can stir up the workers our own audiences all in agreement that we need to do something there's a kind of a flow that happens we have this kind of a flow where the the bigger pundits listen to the smaller pundits and then the washington post and the new york times eventually get to the story too on twitter when things trend on twitter about 15 percent of bernie voters say they will vote directly for donald trump in the general election People are losing their shit and on Twitter. And because they're losing their shit on Twitter, then some of the bigger news outlets start to cover it. And if we could get people stirred up and leaving comments on our show, tweeting directly at bigger voices, then those bigger voices, that moves up the chain, the flow keeps going, and the politicians are the last ones to move. But if we want to, to do what Jimmy wanted to do, which is snap his fingers and get AOC and Bernie to, to just lead the charge... 
it won't happen overnight, but over time we can get the rumbling herd to think day by day by day more about stampeding. And when they start to stampede, we need to know which direction to go. So we keep saying over and over and over, like good um, indoctrination works at every level, this is what we want. If they can't articulate a demand, it'll all be for nothing. So what right. we need the herd to all move together is we want Medicare for all. Medicare for all and, and save the planet. Two or three things maybe that they could all be saying together, whether they're right or left. And if the population agrees and they're willing to strike, that's the last part of the key. That's the, They have to be willing to shut it down. And if they can do that, then finally, the the not leaders, the, the followers, the politicians will have to do something. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if it's Bernie or Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump. What really matters is how we push them. It doesn't matter what their values are. It matters who's pushing and how hard they're pushing. These assholes, I mean, Jimmy kept calling Bernie motherfucker, motherfucker over and over. He's like, why are you so mad at Bernie? Bernie is just a politician like all the rest. It's us. We have to get together and make our voices. So Jimmy, Jimmy has a key role to play. We should be yelling at Jimmy. Why haven't you said that you're Bernie or bust all these years? Yes. Why well, haven't yes, that? Well, yes. I mean, you, you're totally right about that. He should not have been fucking around with this Tulsi Gabbard nonsense for the last year, which he was. And she made an idiot out of everybody who did that. Yep. When she endorsed Joe Biden. All right. And now he would come back and say Bernie's going to endorse Joe Biden. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is you had there was clearly one horse to back in this race if you really wanted to challenge corporate power. And that was Bernie. And the Bernie bus message, which, you know, he was he was closer to that last time than, you know, TYT was. I mean, he didn't vote for Hillary in November of 2016. Most of those, you know, most most of the sort of more mainstream left alternative media types did or at least said they would have in a swing state, you know, some sort of version of that. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that that is totally on point. Um, one question that I wanted to ask you, because as you when you brought up Bernie or Bust, you know, you were you were the guy who changed my way of, of thinking about this in a lot of ways, because you meant you framed Bernie or Bust to me as a show of solidarity with people who were in a sort of Bernie or Bust situation. Right. And I touched upon this in one of the solo podcasts that I did where right. I talked about how, you know, people who can't afford insulin. They're blind to the difference between Biden and Trump because neither Biden nor Trump is going to bring them the kind of relief that they need in order to afford insulin so that they can live in peace every week knowing they're going to make it to next week. And could that same solidarity be expected or projected or suggested, right? I'm going to leave this as an open question for you, to people who can afford to pay their credit cards or their auto loans or their rent, right? Because here's the thing, we're going to have a rent strike either way. We can either have a de facto rent strike where just millions of people individually realize, oh shit, I can't pay the rent. <laughs> a, a de facto credit card strike where people don't have the money and the credit card bills don't get paid. Or we can organize that and actually leverage that to get outcomes that we want out of our political system. And so- I guess those are two separate questions, but okay. one, can we get the more comfy sort of well-meaning, you know, Pete Buttigieg type liberals on board to say, hey, we're going to join you. We're going to stop paying our rent too, or they probably don't have rent, but you know what I mean? <laughs> we're yeah. going to stop paying our, our uh, cars off. Uh, and then the second question um, would be, 
that well I suppose they're not really two questions, right? But the, 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 the second thing is just more of a point that this is going to happen anyway. People are going to run out of money anyway. You can either organize that and use that, or you can just have us be just, you know, a nation of individual people who can be, you know, smeared as deadbeats who didn't save up enough money for a pandemic. Right. <laughs> and then okay. all of a sudden they have to give their cars back. Yeah, you answered the second part yourself, so I don't have to do that. The first part yeah, Sorry is, about that. No, that's good. The first part is leverage. <laughs> Leverage is the key, and lately, even Kyle Kalinske, even, well, Crystal Ball jumped on it first, and she confronted Cenk Uger right on his show. He said, yeah, but Crystal, we can't vote for Trump. And she's saying, you can use this leverage, and, and you should be. And so she's basically saying, Bernie or bust, she's saying, you can't make us vote for Biden because Biden is an asshole and, and Crystal has worked to expose Biden as a rapist. So which rapist do you want in the White House, Biden or Trump? There are fewer and fewer differences day by day. They're both losing their minds. They're both racist. They're both rapists. So, so you can't tell a lot of these comfy Dems to vote in good conscience for either of the two rapists. But what you need to say to the comfy Dems, I think, and this is where we've differed because you say, I don't want to alienate them I don't, I don't want to push away a potential Bernie primary voter away. Well, and, that ship has sailed. I mean, right. You it's know, too late. Right. So now it's too late. But that's my point is that it wouldn't have been too late back in July. This is when Jimmy Dore and Tim Black and Kyle Kalinske and David Dole and Jordan Cheriton and the whole lot of them all should have been saying, now is the time to make it clear to the comfy Dems, not being nice to them, not playing footsie with them, not saying, well, we hope you'll vote for our candidate, but saying, you have no fucking choice. And that's where that's where they all fell down. If, if Jimmy wants to bang on his high chair and scream and turn purple and say, our leaders suck, they should have been doing that, something, I want to say, Jimmy, you suck. And your friend, Jenk Uger, who got paid $20 million by Jeffrey Katzenberg to tell us all to endorse Hillary, he sucks too. And everybody who told us to endorse Hillary last time sucks. And everybody who didn't say right in the beginning, back in July of 2019, get on the Bernie or Bust bandwagon right now and say to these comfy Dems, fuck you, you can't have Pete Buttigieg, you can't have Elizabeth Warren, you can't have Amy Klobuchar. You can't have any of these corporate corporatists. And if you knew all along, you insiders, that Biden was going to get the nod and, and Hillary intimated that she knew months ago who it was going to be. But Obama knew months ago. If you knew this all along, then really fuck you, because you you should have known back then that the Bernie or bus movement and the Bernie or Trump people, which isn't a movement, it's just a cyclone, were going to scuttle it all along. You knew all along that you couldn't get a corporate candidate in there, even even someone who pretended to be uh, a leftist like Elizabeth Warren, who was the biggest um, snake in the grass, other than maybe Tulsi, of all. We should have, all the lefty pundits should have been saying months ago, it's Bernie or bust. Remember how angry we were when we stormed out of the convention in Philadelphia? Remember all of us with our bullhorns and all of us had our podcasts and our our videos going, we, we were in, enraged. We were saying, Bernie or bust is the only answer. Jill Stein jumps up on something and says, Bernie or bust is the answer. 
Bernie can run as a third party candidate. Bernie's never going to fucking run as a third party candidate. We, we need to do this ourselves. And I want to say, Jimmy Dore, you should have been saying Bernie or bust way back, way back. And, and you weren't. Three years ago, you should have been figuring out that this is going to happen again. Jank, Jank, your buddy, is never going to say Bernie or bust. He's going to tell us very shortly, Jank is going to tell us to vote for Biden. Suck it up and vote for Biden. I don't think Kyle is. I don't think Crystal is. I don't think um, Mike Figueredo he sounds like he's also not going to say that. So that's that's an improvement over last time. But anybody who says we should suck it up and vote for Biden is not on the team. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. Look, as far as as far as that messaging would have gone over the summer, you know, I, I hear you. Um, I, I think it makes sense. It was still a gamble. And I think the Bernie campaign made a gamble that, look, OK, if they came out, I mean, if 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 the Bernie campaign and, and by the Bernie campaign, I just I don't just mean the campaign. I mean, you know, people in the media who are backing it, just rank and file voters who are backing it. If they come out and they say we're not voting for the Democratic nominee if it's not Bernie Sanders. There was a poll came out a few months ago that said that only 53 percent of Bernie supporters were committed to voting for the Democratic nominee no matter what. 40% said it depended on who it was. Now, that was before Warren came out with that awful hit job. So that was probably a lot of those 40% were like, well, if it's Warren, I'll suck it up and, and vote for Warren. But a lot of those 40% were probably, are pro were probably at the time, I don't know if the polling has moved or not, but they were probably in the sort of never Biden camp. And what did it do? It didn't do much because this is what I told you last time. These comfy Dems care more about their own sense of righteousness, their own sense of perspective, their own view of the world. Maintaining their view of the world is more important than winning. If Donald Trump gets a second term, yeah, they're going to kick and scream and bitch and cry, and they're going to say what an awful racist country this is and how stupid everybody is and how they're embarrassed to live here, and they're going to threaten to move to Canada. It's the same thing they did after Bush. But the fact is they get to do that, and there is a media machine that feeds that, that makes them yeah. feel like they're noble for doing that. Right. And so would that have gotten them to vote for Bernie Sanders? I don't think so. I really don't. And this is the argument for a third party because we're trying to win a debate with people who are just never going to come to us because they don't care about the same things that we care about. You know, like it goes back to Terry McAuliffe sitting there, CNN, just staring into space while people are talking about the fact that two thirds of the country doesn't have five hundred dollars when they need it. If something if something unexpected happens, that's the big problem. And so had we taken a harder line from the beginning, we would rely on basically two things. We'd have to rely on number one, that people would heed that and take that seriously and say, oh, well, I guess as much as I want to vote for Buttigieg, I can't. Now I have to vote for Sanders. I'm not sure that would have happened. The second thing we would have to worry about is would the Democratic establishment care if they did that? Or would they do a switcheroo and find some way to get Biden in there anyway? Which I think I think you and I are on the same page that they would. They would do they would stop at nothing to get Bernie out of there anyway. So given the fact that those two things were likely to not break our way, I don't think either of those two things would have broken our way. But Bernie and his campaign took a chance. They said, okay. What we're going to do is we're going to just build our movement. We're not going to go too negative. We're not going to play too rough. We're going to get our 30 to 35% support in a crowded field. And then if 
a last-minute switcheroo happens. And I don't know if the campaign people were prepped for this or not. I don't think it would have mattered if they were. But if at the last minute Barack Obama calls Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and says drop out and endorse Biden and Beto O'Rourke endorse Biden and all this movement happens around Biden in the last minute of the campaign with literally less than 48 hours to go before Super Tuesday, I think the chance that the Bernie campaign had to just take, they had to take a leap of faith and say, hopefully that maneuvering won't work. Hopefully by that point, we will have built sufficient momentum to carry us over the top anyway. And that ended up not being the case. This party is so, and when I say the party, I mean the people, I mean the voters, I mean the worthless, shit for brains, weak voters are so under the thumb of the Obamas, of the Clintons, of the CNNs, of the MSNBC, that when they say jump, you they jump. And that's the real problem that we're facing. And they stay in home. In terms of all that. And they stay home and eat Uber Eats. They order those Amazon <laughs> workers. And they sit there and watch TV and, and feel bored. And these motherfuckers have to be explained. We have to explain it to them. And the way to do that is a general strike. Well, yes, exactly. Now that is the way to do that. Now that this campaign is more or less over, now is when we say, okay, you know what? Fuck you. We tried this twice, right? We tried... We tried getting Bernie in there twice. We tried to implement Medicare for all twice. Now you have millions of people losing their health insurance every week because it's tied to their employer and they don't have employers anymore. We tried doing this. Now we're not working with you people anymore. All right. And I I put the you people in there just for you. We're not working with you anymore. That's it. We're we're leaving. And if certain organizations want to run insurgent primary campaigns through this party, we will back them. I'll support good people wherever they are, right? But we need a power structure that is separate from this party. Otherwise, we're fucked. We're never going to to break into this. Uh, to, we're never going to infiltrate this power structure in a way that's meaningful from the, an electoral politics standpoint in the short term. And I wish we had 30 years to do it, but we don't have 30 okay, years to do it. <laughs> that, that good. That's what I was going to say if you didn't say it. What we have is... We, we need a movement, I think, rather than a party, because if we have a party, I believe that the oligarchs have, it's legal, um, corruption is legal in the United States. So the oligarchs can buy a new party just as easily as they can buy the old parties. They're, they're really working on AOC for her to be more civil. Bernie sucks up to Schumer. AOC sucks up to Mama Bear Pelosi. What we need is a movement that's outside of of the parties. We need a movement that could push even Republicans. We need a movement like the Tea Party movement. And so the Tea Party wasn't a formal party. It was a movement. And I think we could make a movement that would push populists the hardest. We would push right and left populists. We would push Democrats and Republicans. And if a third party comes up, fine. I'll support it. I'll even join it. But I think the movement has to stand outside like a big force, like a, a big stick that we can whack everybody with. And, and the basis of the power of that movement is, is job actions, is labor strikes and protests. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes total sense. Because you need, you need a way to light that spark under people, right? You, we have a, you know, we have the problem with the political climate as it is which is exacerbated by this party structure is that you have 
comfortable Washington Post subscribers who are, you know, going back and forth between Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Warren, right? Um, and then you have, you know, the Sanders people. But then you have this whole swath of people who are maybe registered Democrats, maybe registered independents, maybe not registered at all, Yeah. who just, you know, sit in their place of work. And they say, yeah, no, I like Bernie. I love Bernie, but I don't think he can make it. You know, going back to that guy at the newsstand that we talked about earlier. When I was at the Boston Common Rally, there was a truck driver. He was going there to put in the, um, I, I don't know if he was cleaning the porter potties or if he was putting the porter potties into uh, Boston Common, you know. And he he's pumping his fist in the air saying, yeah, Bernie, you know, he was he was sympathetic to the cause. What do you think the chances are that, that he voted? What do you think the chances are that he's registered to vote? I mean, you know, that's the problem. But but if 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 we could connect the political situation to his everyday material situation in the form of a strike, if he's not getting paid enough or if he's putting himself at risk, you know, um, unnecessarily um, in order to pad the bottom line for, you know, whatever company he works for, that can get him involved. Right. What if, what that if the, could be what you need. What if the people like that are telling the comfortable boomers, hey, you have to vote for our candidates um, because we're going to stop delivering your food and we're going to stop oh, delivering well, your, your toilet yeah. paper. So instead of telling the comfy Dems, um, you know, being we're, we're playing nice with you. We're trying not to offend you and be mean Bernie bros and mean Bernie sisters online. We're not going to. We're not gonna. I'd say be just as mean as ever, and and let them know through leverage that if they don't vote for progressive candidates, they don't eat. Yeah. No. I mean, I I think yeah. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think that's a great idea. But it starts with a strike, yeah. right? And I think one of maybe one of the mistakes that that were uh, made. Um, just more broadly speaking, this is not on any one person or any one group, obviously, because it's kind of a macro view of things. But that kind of action maybe should have preceded this 2020 Bernie campaign, because to try and do it all at once and line this all up behind a candidate, there's not there's not that grounding there. It wouldn't have worked in you Brazil know, either. It, it wouldn't have worked right. in the other place in, in Paris. It wouldn't have worked. This has got to be organic. So we, that's why the, the pandemic is key. That's the key ingredient. We've got the pandemic. It, it wouldn't have happened. We could, even if it did happen, even if there were protests, they wouldn't have lined up behind a candidate. They might not have even have lined up behind Medicare for all. But now they can do it. I'd say now people are ready to, they're scared. They're, they're going to stay home even just, just because they're scared. Combine that with the people who will stay home and tell the press the reason we're staying home it's because we need Medicare. And and I think now is the time. I, I think that's why this podcast is and this video is a good moment. If we have anybody who says listeners, red, regular listeners who say, yeah, this makes sense. We need to be solid. We need to be in solidarity with each other. And then maybe Kyle Kalinske will watch your show or listen to your to your podcast and say, ah, they make a pretty good point. We should probably be trying to get our because Kyle gives his viewers um, advice all the time. He's well, a, you featured Kyle in that episode you just did, where you showed Jimmy Dore, where he had the graphic of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X come yeah. up, and he pointed at them. He says, "You know how real shit happens? That's how it happens. Yeah, not through 
you know, not through Bernie Sanders, right? It doesn't mean we don't love Bernie. It doesn't mean we, we don't love AOC. That's not the point. It's not the point whether you like them or not or whether you want to be pissed at them or not. It's acknowledging they are where they are and we are where we are. And each of us have roles in our respective places. And they are going to be hamstrung by the institutions they are they are inside. Uh, it doesn't matter if they're great people or horrible people. They're going to be limited in what they could do. And so he did kind of yeah. go that route, right? Yeah. In the episode that you that, that, that you featured him on, no? Yeah. And so what we need to tell our viewers is we we don't want to th- listen. Like Bernie even told us not to listen. We some of the people that argue with me online, probably with you too, say, well, Bernie wouldn't want us to do that. Bernie wouldn't want us to do le- use leverage. Bernie told us to vote for Hillary. And right. okay, all right, so Bernie's not my leader. I'm, right. I'm my own leader and, and Bernie better follow me and Bernie better follow you. And we know, and Bernie wants to, that's why we like Bernie. And that's why we like AOC. I think they want to follow our lead. We have to lead. And one way to lead is to get people riled up enough to strike. And then Bernie will do what we want. And Bernie will not just yell at the Republicans on the Senate floor and, and tell them, you know, that, that they should be kinder to workers. What Bernie would do on the Senate floor then is say, you can't get this stimulus bill unless you take separate it and separate the corporate part from the worker relief part. And I'm not going to vote for it until you do this. Bernie didn't have the backing from us to do that. So we need to give him our our strong support in the form of strikes. Yeah, no, that that that's absolutely true. Alan, thank you so much for taking the time, my friend. It was great to talk to you. I hope we could do this more often uh, as time goes on. So you could like us on Facebook, follow us on SoundCloud, subscribe uh, to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts. You can drop us a few bucks a month, just a dime a day, as little as a dime a day at patreon.com front slash do dissidents. Help keep our operation going, especially in times like these. That really, really helps if you can do that. Um, And uh, also, of course, check out localburniecrats.com for uh, candidates who are on the ballot. Uh, in primaries that are coming up. Oh, you know what, Alan? Yeah. Before we go, since there is a primary coming up on Tuesday, I mean, can we just talk about that for a minute? I mean, what the fuck is <laughs> we- going on? That they are sending people out Did you hear on what- Tuesday? This is the height of the curve they're talking about now. Did you hear what they're Jimmy They're actually going to have a primary now? Did you hear what Jimmy said about the Bernie camp? He was actually telling people to go vote until they... they- questioned it and then they changed it and then bernie said well that was for illinois arizona florida which is bad enough i mean i think they should have boycotted it basically um but this is just i mean this is beyond that i mean this is now they're talking about this being the height of the curve these are the most dangerous two weeks coming up you're actually going to send people out to the polling places now i mean it's it's insanity yeah this shows that we don't have a soul I don't know what yeah. to say. It just it's just so blatant. <laughs> it's so glaringly obvious that we don't give a fuck about people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, put the shoe on 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 the other foot here. If Bernie were up by 300 delegates now with half the states left to vote and this pandemic were happening and Bernie had all the momentum and he were up in the polls, do you think they'd send people out on Tuesday to vote or do you think Tom Perez would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. We got to push this back." Vote by mail. I just I just applied in Pennsylvania to vote by mail, 
just say we're not going to have in-person elections. We're going to do it by mail or we can do it yeah. online. We yeah, can do that's it. That's true, too. Yeah, we can, we've got the technology. We can easily hold elections and probably with greater turnout. I don't think that voter suppression would be as a big of a problem if we did it some other way. And not yeah. to mention rigging yeah. the, the ballot. The, we're the only country that does. Everybody else uses paper ballots. So if you if you want paper ballots, just do it by mail and make sure that there are people there to count the ballots when they come in, because that's another thing we haven't talked You and I have never talked about, I don't think, is about the, the ballot box rigging, the blatant differences between the exit polling and the results that are published. Yeah, we haven't we haven't done a full episode on that. I did interview um, I did interview Eleanor Goldfield, who does a podcast with Lee Camp called uh, Common Censor. They've done some really really good work on that. So if you want more in depth coverage of that, check that podcast out. It was an episode a few weeks ago that they did, um, getting really in depth. But no, it it is it is concerning, and you know, like I'm of the opinion that the problems within this party and within this primary process go way beyond that. And so while I don't dismiss that, I tried to, you know, I brought that up with, with her when she was on, um, you know, to me, that's the tip of the iceberg. The bigger problem is the voter base itself, really. And, and the, the, the just the influence that the corporate media and that the corporate democratic leaders have on them, that's the real thing. But obviously, election fraud is huge i mean if you're not if you don't have election integrity you don't have anything um all right so anyway that's the longest outro we've ever done to a show but uh go and vote for local bernie crack candidates however you can be safe about it uh don't show up to vote in person anywhere either vote by mail or don't vote i hate to say that but it's this this party is not worth putting yourself at risk for uh, absolutely not. They'll so pick, they'll uh, pick whoever they want anyway. So what difference does it make? <laughs> right, exactly. They pick whoever they want anyway. Um, yeah, in fact, that's what you can mail in. If you're going to do a mail-in ballot, just say, you know, you should leave it blank and just ask them to fill it out for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Thanks again to Alan Howell for coming on. We'll see you all next time. Get on board the Bernier bus train. Come get on board the Bernier bus train. Once you hear that clickety clack, there ain't no time for turning back. Get on board the Bernier bus train. The preceding episode can be viewed on the YouTube channel. Bernie or Bust Television.